it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Travis here from the show. Just wanted to give you a quick update on our Patreon page. In the past, we haven't treated it with the most attention that we should, and we thought it was time to up our game. So instead of just sitting back and asking you to support the show monetarily, we are going to set $50 increment goals. And every time we hit one of those goals, it'll allow us to purchase something that makes the show better. And in addition to that, we will also be filming a short film based on a Kanye West song. So the more you donate, the better equipment we'll be able to buy, and the more we'll be able to embarrass ourselves online with these short films. So just head to patreon.com slash Kanye podcast if you want to help us out. Thank you, and stay wavy. Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. So keep your love. I don't get enough of it. Jesus just rose again. Listen to the kids. Welcome to Watching the Throne, a lyrical analysis of Kanye West. My name is Chris Lambert, and today we have a story with Justin Hunt. Justin is head of video production and development for Ambrosia for Heads, a former editor-in-chief of Hip Hop DX and creator of DX's popular series The Breakdown and Hashtag DX Live. Hunt has debated at the prestigious Oxford Union and is featured on Shade 45's All Out Show with Rude Jude, as well as Revolt TV's Revolt Live, Billboard Magazine, Digital Campaigns for Lexus, Honda, Brisk, and Simple Mobile. Prior to joining Hip Hop DX, Hunt spent five years working in investment banking at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and has covered music, politics, and culture for numerous publications. He is currently based in Los Angeles, California. You can follow him at the company man on all social media platforms. And uh, we start the interview with me asking Justin, you know, what first drew him to Kanye? When did he first notice Kanye? And uh, in true Justin fashion, he dropped some knowledge on us. So here we go. I hope you enjoy the interview with Justin Hunt. Scary. I was looking at Nas's It Was Written versus uh, Stakes Is High from De La Soul. Mm-hmm. And I took ninth wonder, and he called it the catastrophe of commercialization. So he looks at 1996 as a split between, okay, there's a version of hip-hop that really went underground. There's a version of hip-hop that really went mainstream. So there was a gap or, or a wedge in perspectives that we got often from mainstream versus what we found on the underground, what we found most deaf and quali and raucous. They weren't necessarily getting the same uh, uh, amount of radio play, television play, commercial recognition as Jay-Z's, as Nelly's, as all these guys. And Kanye was the first guy to really get both, be a part of both, have that commercial success while still some of that common man perspective. So that stood out to me immediately. He worked at The Gap. I worked at The Gap. <laughs> Way and most deaf on the same track. 
and talked about how it was a big deal. So he was cognizant of what he was doing. You know, he was he had interludes. Uh, he I, I pledged Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. You know, uh, he would talk about Alpha Step, Omega Step, Kappa Step. You know, these this is a very commercial album. This sold like end up selling like two million records, something crazy. Yeah. Uh, and he's talking about working at the Gap. Uh, he's talking about uh, Black Fraternity Step shows. He's talking about uh, being self conscious. He's talking about you know just things that you don't have to be the flashiest. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to come from the worst situations. You don't have to be the hardest, you know, life perspectives. Uh, and from a black male perspective in hip hop in 2003 and four. So me, like the rest of the world gravitated towards that because at the same time, he still was boastful. He was <laughs> hell. Yeah. He was super funny. Like he had some of the funniest lines ever, you know, like he, Probably he, in my opinion, he has an early podcast on Last Call. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talks for like five minutes about his whole life. That's pretty much a, what a podcast is now for a lot of these guys. I remember I was coming up; it was hard, and I made it. You know, like that. <laughs> like all those things were just really innovative and uh, were appealing to all sides of my hip hop fandom. Right, so. Uh, that was what initially drove me to him. Now, I, I remember, I, I'm a lyrics guy first, right? Mm. Like, I think about, I like lyrics more than I like beats. Meaning, yeah, I love beats, don't get me wrong, no disrespect to any producers or DJs out there, but the words are what stick with me long after I last listened to something, mm. right? And when Kanye said, got a light-skinned friend, look like Michael Jackson. Got a dark-skinned friend, look like Michael Jackson. That's the first time <laughs> I've heard anyone contextualize how both of those things are true. A light-skinned person and a dark-skinned person could look like Michael Jackson, and those two people don't look anything alike. <laughs> like, Yo, man, they been, that's a rap lyric that could have been 20 years old at that point. Rakim could have said that line. Biggie could have said that line. Jay-Z, everybody could have said that line. And to me, for as a lyrics guy, I think about voice and imagination, and there's so much imagination <laughs> in, in that analogy. You yeah. know what I mean? So I was like, yo, this is like one of the first songs that I'm hearing from him. I heard Through the Wire. I thought that was innovative. I've never heard somebody rap with their jaws. Right? I know the, you know, the mixtape Kanye and the Windy City stuff and all of his, you know, uh, Def Jam poetry things that turned into songs later. But yo, son. Commercial respect, commercial recognition, commercial play, even at that point, online um, uh, respect, feeling, fans want a feeling of a Tribe Called Quest, at the same time with a guy who's rapping for the first time that I can remember, or at least the second time I can remember seeing an MC who directly, I directly related to. So that was, that's, that was one of the things, that's exactly how I became a Kanye West fan. <laughs> and where were you at uh, in your life at that time? Had you had you started into the professional realm? Were you still kind of finding your way? Uh, what's it called? Through the Wire came out my senior year in college. So that was like 2003. Maybe late 2002. Um, but I remember 2003 is when Kanye got on my radar. as like, yo, here's a guy that's been producing all this stuff for, you know, 
for Rockefeller, for DMX, all these cats I really mess with. And um, 2004 is when the college dropout came out. So I had just, I graduated from college in 03. I moved to Brooklyn, New York. So I'm in young adulthood, right? So all of my friends were starting to get frustrated with radio and television just because it was at the beginning end of the arc of that conversation. But there was so much consolidation that no matter where you were in the country, you heard the same songs on the radio. You heard, you saw the same videos on every video channel. And so, uh, but Kanye came out in that, from that point of view for me. And here's, I had just finished college. He's talking about dropping out of college. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I also think that's also a nadir in young black professionalism, just generally speaking in America. Right. So we're, you know, millennials in general, but definitely black people in, you know, black people as well. We're, this is probably the first generation of black people, part of the first generation of black people where uh, a lot of us, if not most of us, if not most of us, probably close to half of us had some sort of college experience, were going to college, knew we were going to college, just got out of college or had the option to really look at college as an option. So for that to be the theme of this project, you know, you know, really stood out at the same time for someone like me who had just got out of college. Now I'm in the workplace. Now I'm trying to figure out you know, what to do with all this stuff. Yeah. Did it, uh, with that energy being so much a part of that album and that, you know, make your own way, carve your path. Did, did you, did you vibe with that at that time? like that inspiration or that drive to kind of go and do your own thing. Absolutely. And it was slamming. Like it was working in the clubs. Like you could <laughs> listen to overnight celebrity at China club, Jade Terrace. You can smack some bellies to some of the tracks on there, but you know, the <laughs> aspirational aspect of it, the forge your own path, the dream killers, ignore the dream killers, do what you want to do mentality. I mean, that's, Kanye is not even a millennial, but when I think of millennials, I think about <laughs> it's like, mm, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And he definitely embodies <laughs> that yeah. entire perspective. <laughs> yeah, like, very, very much. Like, he's 41 years old now and still fits in with that millennial kind of like yeah. mindset. And truthfully, it's it's more than, you know, just Kanye at the same time. But, you know, that's what the tech, that's what technology taught us. Half the guys who are billionaires in tech that we were learning about back then, they all dropped out of college too. <laughs> Bill Gates dropped out. Steve Jobs dropped out. None of these big guys in the coolest, newest mediums that hip hop or video games or programming or app software, dropouts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the whole forge your own way that Horatio Alger American narrative you know, he embodied that and then some over beats. <laughs> uh, you said something in your descriptions of College Dropout. You talked about imagination and being a lyrics guy. And I feel like there's a lot of tension with the last few Kanye albums as people that uh, on Twitter, I've seen a lot of people that say, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a lyrics person. Kanye's lyrics are bad these days. But you mentioned the imagination, which I, I think that he's gone in a different direction. They're still good, but... Um, that imagination still seems to be there. Like the imagination that he brings to Jesus, to Life of Pablo, like do you still get that same sense, even though... I definitely, you know, Kanye is a product of who he's hanging around, mm. right? 
And so when I think about those first three albums, I think about Consequence, I think about Rhyme Fest, I think about Common, and especially Consequence and Rhyme Fest. Those guys are funny, man. They got jokes, you know, even their own raps are hilarious. And I think that played a bigger role in those first three Kanye projects than, you know, maybe we are quick to remember or reference. Uh, I don't think of Pusha T as being that funny. I don't think about Kid Cudi being that funny. I don't think about, uh, I, and I love Sahai High the Prince, but I don't think his sense of humor is the same as like, you know, Rhyme Fest and Consequences. And I think that <clears throat> um, Ye's last three projects suffered under that weight. Meaning, I think Yeezus has a lot of imagination. Right. I think a stripped down, screaming, angry, arguably arguable argument on classism with funny lines like stick my fist in or like a civil rights sign, you know, uh, uh, freaking uh, hurry up with my damn croissants. Like, I, I think there's imagination in his approach to that conversation, especially with it being, you know, um, closer to even outside or niche type religious perspectives, right? I am a God, right? Like that's five percenters say that, you know, uh, freaking uh, nations of gods and earth, Wu-Tang Clan, all those guys, Rakim, all those guys call themselves God, you know, like uh, um, uh, what's it called? Scientology. They get close to that, you know, in that perspective. So I think there's imagination in terms of how he's putting together these conversations on Yeezus specifically. Mm -hmm. I, for me, that's where it ends. Like, I don't hear that much imagination on Life of Pablo, lyrically. Now, I understand the idea of making a gospel song where people are cursing. That's what he called it. Uh, it's a gospel album with a whole lot of cursing. Well, I don't know. You know, is it... Is it funny to talk about boning chicks with bleach assholes? It's witty. I, whether or not it is or it isn't, to me, it doesn't land the same way as, you know, those first three projects from Kanye, especially. Um, so, and for me, I'm an outlier in this, but Pablo sounds like Kanye trying to find Kanye to me, mm. you know? <clears throat> and this... I can't even think of what this new project is called right now. <laughs> but the uh, Wyoming... Yay, yay. Yay, okay. So the Wyoming project to me is an interesting three-time listen, especially for it to be seven songs. But I feel as though the biggest thing since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is that Kanye really isn't that interested, at least to me, doesn't sound that interested in making music anymore. Kanye has to make music. And this is something he said in this Sway interview. He said this in Zane Lowe. Uh, he has to make music because he has his own time relevancy quotient. For the amount of time he has on this earth and all the things he wants to accomplish, he needs to be as relevant as possible. And music keeps you in that conversation. But he also wants to own the cows that make the leather that goes into Louis Vuitton clothes. Like that's different than coming up with your own clothing line with your own T-shirt. He's trying to own the supply chain. Right. So he has to be really big, really, really unavoidable. Has to be a part of every conversation for to exercise his fashion dreams, his his shoe game, you know, dreams, his the other his 
you know, whatever community he's starting in Calabasas, whatever these things are, right? So, yeah. and you can hear about it. He said he, in the Zane Lowe interview, he said he was spending 80% percent of his time on fashion, 20% of his time on music. Now that's Wash the Throne. He said, you know why they call it niggas in Paris? Because niggas was in Paris. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, on Yeezus, um, if you take that album one way, like if you just take it on music face value alone, it does sound like a conversation on classism. If you take his interviews, if you take the Zane Lowe interview around that, you take all the later radio interviews he had to do because Kim had North around that time, so he missed the beginning press run right after Yeezus came out. And that fall, he went to Philly. He was doing interviews with every radio station, which he doesn't always do, but that one he really did them because he had to. You take all those interviews together and you listen to what he's talking about, it sounds like a rich guy screaming about fashion. Hedy's the main, you ain't gonna give me, Nike, Nike ain't gonna give me. Like, it just really sounds like he's more concerned with the fashion side of whatever's happening. Um, I know that uh, there was a CEO who, felt, who asked whether or not um, they could control him when it came to his, his sneaker deal, his shoe deal. Uh, they sat in that meeting and they were like, yeah, well, our question is, can we control him? Can we control you? That was Adidas. That was almost a hang up with the Adidas deal. Right. But again, that album is wrapped around fashion. We get to Pablo. Well, we first hear that album in Madison Square Garden during an actual fashion show. <laughs> you know, like the whole, so all of these projects are just kind of like, hey, guys, you have to want me on your shelves. These are all very long-winded apologies, much like Good Friday's originally was, right before My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fancy, right after he grabbed the microphone from Taylor Swift. So there's all these really maximum Kanye's a douchebag, Kanye's an asshole moments, and then right after that, he goes inside, he starts making some music, he puts stuff out again. Only this time, over the past four projects to me, it sounds like he is considerably more interested and more passionate about making clothes and kicks than he is beats and rhymes. So for me, everything since then lacks imagination when it comes mm -hmm. to that. It sounds more formulaic to me when it comes to that. I can kind of predict what Kanye is going to talk about in his projects to some degree because of what other people are talking about. I knew he was going to talk about mental illness this time. Kendrick's already alluded to it. J. Cole mastered it this year. Yeah, uh, Ye even's got a, a freaking either Ye or the Kit Cuddy project has a has a, uh, a Richard Pryor cut sample in there. It's very, I think it's from the same comedy special that J. Cole grabbed his from. Kanye's not the best at talking about what is happening on Beats and Rhymes anymore, in my opinion. And it's because, by his own admission, through his own interviews, for the past four projects, He's been spending most of his time on other stuff. The real question about Kanye's relevance is no longer how well any of these albums do. It's how well his shoes do. Mm. He's the only guy who's not a basketball player who can sell 100,000 sneakers. Football players can't even do that. I don't even know the biggest NFL player with kicks. <laughs> see him on the street. Never no. see him on the I see a bunch of Jays, a bunch of LeBrons, some KDs, some Steph Currys, and some Kanye's. And everything else is classic kicks, like shell toes and chucks, bands. So this is where he is now, to his credit, because he's worked hard to get there. And I think it still represents everything I love about Kanye. It's just not Kanye's music anymore. That's the primary product. Mm. And how do you, uh, 
how, from your position working in the journalism industry and uh, having that perspective, has it has it been interesting to watch that transition to take place, or uh, from that kind of uh, how do I want to frame it? It's definitely been interesting. I don't know if it's been awesome or awful, though. Right? I mean, like here's someone whose music absolutely inspired a generation. Um, was for me most incredible because it was mo- it always felt fresh. No matter when <clears throat> or what Kanye came out with, it sounded mm-hmm. fresh. You know, I don't think he sounds fresh anymore. Um, and you can make an argument that his shoes are fresh. You can make an argument that. I don't even know the shoes. I like the, I don't know. I like all the shoes. I, I do. I, I like his shoes. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, but what I don't like is having an understanding of his patterns now. Mm. And I can't remember which interview it was. It was either around graduation, maybe around my beautiful dark twisted fantasy or right after the Taylor Swift thing. And he, he said this interview and he was like, see, what I do is I make a big stink. I make a big fuss. I make sure the chips are stacked as high against me as possible. Then I go inside, work really, really hard, surpass everyone's expectations, and then I stunt. And if you look at every project that's come out, there's been some of that, right? Like, you know, right. Um, you had him. He was super early on homophobia, attacking homophobia in hip hop. His his career is interesting because his career is exactly as long as Google Trends. So you can go to Google Trends, type in Kanye West, right, and you can look at all the peaks when he was most Google interest had the highest Google interest. First one is when he talked about homophobia, not college dropout. When he talked about how homophobia was bad in hip hop. Next one was uh, George Bush doesn't care about black people. The next one was 50 Cent versus Kanye, which is probably the most, the closest music related one, but it's beef. (laughs) Yeah, beef. (laughs) Then it's Taylor Swift. Then it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the next one, the next biggest one after that is when he starts going off on Wiz Khalifa on Twitter <laughs> about smoke this KK and all yeah. the crazy stuff that was happening in that interview. And then it was slavery was a choice. <laughs> so if you look at his entire career, he pisses off uh, hardcore hip hop talking about it's okay to be gay. He pisses off uh, conservatives for the first time with uh, George Bush doesn't care about black people. He pisses off white people Old people and anyone who likes cordial cordiality in general by saying, Taylor, I'm going to let you finish. But <laughs> <laughs> he just starts screaming at everything that happens around the, um, the Wiz Khalifa thing. Now he's beefing again. And so he's he pisses off all the corporate people with the classism, Zane Lowe stuff. Who's left for Kanye to piss off but black people? And that's where I, so I feel like I can I can predict these things now. And that, to me, takes away from anything I'm getting from Kanye. I think it's amazing that he's able to achieve his goals. To me, that is the biggest, most unrelenting inspirational force in pop culture. 
because everything he says that he wants or he needs, he ultimately ends up getting it. I don't I don't like feeling like I'm being exploited or the things that I value most or at least originally about him are just tools for him to get what he wants. I like the idea that I was believing in something authentic. I like the idea that here's someone who wants to make the world a better place. I don't feel like he wants to make necessarily the world a better place as much as he knows what he needs people to feel in order for him to move another step up the ladder. Which is such a, I'm thinking about how you were describing how you first felt when the college dropout came out and that connection to it, that this was, this was a musician that you could relate to. This was somebody that was like speaking in a way that you're like, yes, I, I connect to this to mature and develop on your own path to the point where this person that was this kind of idol for you, and even if idol's a bit of extreme in the word, but somebody that you looked up to, to being in a place now where you don't need that and you kind of see through it, it's uh Well, you it, know, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's two-pronged, excuse me, it's two-pronged in the sense of like, you know, if there's a positive to looking at this, right, it's the fact that, well, none of us should be afraid to do whatever we got to do to get what we want. Get rich or die, try it, you know? Um, which I think is still consistent, right? Like, it's still that first thing. Why follow the rules of college? I can go outside and make it happen. No, it's society. So that part is still there. I just think that the foundation of that was based on some other principles. Other, hey, I, I realize every time I come, I got to do something for attention. I, I know I got to troll. Yep. There's got to be some sort of thing. And I mean, let, take someone like Jay-Z, right? So take the opposite. Here's Jay-Z. I never feel like Jay-Z's values waver depending on what he needs to do, right? You can make an argument that, okay, Jay-Z had no problem selling drugs and killing people until he became rich, and now he doesn't like to do it as much. <laughs> Either way, that kind of feels like progress. It doesn't feel like petulance, you know. Um, and he's been able to – but either way, <clears throat> he's been able to take that, achieve arguably heights bigger than Kanye. I mean, you can say they're on the same level, but Jay-Z is right up there, and he doesn't have to – flip the script and be wishy-washy in order to accomplish those things. You know, like, I don't, when it's said and done, I don't know who's going to be quote unquote bigger. I don't even know what that means, but I don't think that there's a question of where, where Jay's coming from or how Jay's going to be the next time we see him. I know the next time I see Kanye, it's going to be something totally different again. And whether that's good or bad, they're both chasing the same thing. Is Jay-Z old yet? Maybe. Jay-Z might be old. I know Kanye's not old. I still don't think about Kanye as old. <laughs> right. Kanye don't age to me, you know, and perhaps that's more powerful in the long run. But Michael Jackson went crazy. And all he did was talk about he was Peter Pan and trying to make himself young all the time. So, you know, I don't know where this goes. 
I don't think it's that far away from where I started. I just felt like his means to that end were based on something more than I know I want this. Right. I know people will respond this way, so I'm going to do that. I feel less connected to the person coming through the speakers now because this is hip hop, right? It, you know. Man, that's uh that's really interesting to me because I think I think about that in terms of Kanye making commercial music, right? And thinking about Jay-Z makes a lot of commercial music. He wasn't making 444s for all of his career. Um he would get insightful at times, but all of the time he was he was turning out his his hits, commercial albums. Um and then as Kanye moves more towards these indulgent art projects more so than the commercial he feels in some ways to people like less connected to the whole uh rather than when he was making music that was more i guess uh like in attempt for commercial success rather than necessarily i want to make sure everybody's happy and like feeling this music in this way Kanye, he's just not spending as much time on music. Like that's that's the real thing with Kanye, right? Now, whether we think, I, I think that there were some hits on Jesus. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like Kanye said this in a Zane Lowe interview, and I kind of agree with him on it. If he doesn't say "fuck you" and your corporations, y'all can't control me, probably goes a little bit farther, right? As much as people like, a, like a song like "Fade," everybody loves "Fade," off of uh, Pablo, mm-hmm. right? They love that song. Ultralight Beam, they love that song. The songs really didn't peak like that. Now, that was a possibly a product of that title collaboration, so it wasn't even as widely distributed. It wasn't available on every streaming platform day one. So perhaps that cuts into some of the commercial success, but he's still doing... He's still lining them up so that he has some hits you know, on there. He's not trying to have the song just, you know... He's not making these things for him. <laughs> There's nothing on these, this whole month of Kanye stuff. There's nothing on that for him. <laughs> Except like, <laughs> slavery's a choice. For the next month, I'm putting out all your favorite good artists. <laughs> That's really what that was. And then after that, I'm going back to sneakers. Because now I got to go make my pants with LVMH. And my homie got the job I wanted. You know, like, <laughs> That's what it is for this guy. <laughs> you know, like, like so... Kanye's music will, for me, for the things I loved about Kanye's music, I'm sure it will come back to that if he really spent his time on it. But no, I, Kanye is one of the top commercial selling artists ever, you know, especially in the, since 2000. Yeah. Like, it's probably like five people and then Kanye. Like, it's probably Jay-Z, Eminem, Kanye, Drake. It's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> like you know so it's hard for me not to think of him as a commercial artist when the first time i really heard him say something on commercial radio was light-skinned friend look like michael jackson dark-skinned friend look like michael jackson and that song got jamie fox on it (laughs) and i think twist is on that song so everybody's it's like it doesn't get much more commercial than how he came in you listen to a song like good life 50 told me, go ahead, break, you know, uh, 50 told me, go ahead, switch style up. That's a Drake move. To just start shouting out some other artists <laughs> on the hook and force them to react somehow, you know? Like, <laughs> like you, know, you know, I feel like he's been making commercial 
music. And I don't feel like these new albums have been somewhat, you know, less commercial and angle and approach as much as they just haven't been as commercially successful for different reasons. Mm. You know, like Jesus, I think is, he didn't even get a chance to promote that much. It was dark as hell and he dissed corporations. Pablo, it was only premiered on title first. It didn't go anywhere else. And then uh, this one actually did really well. Like Ye did 260-something first week. You know, that's more than Jay and Bay did. And they think there's only on title on its own. So maybe these aren't single type songs on there, but to me, that's a product of him not focusing on the music. (laughs) You just kind of want to grab him and be like, yo, focus on the music for just a little bit. I'm actually cool either way. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't like the facade. Mm. And that's where I feel like I'm at with Kanye. Like, you know, don't tell me this is the best stuff you ever make every time. You know it's not, man. I'm going back to doing this. I'm do that. Put that yay on it. Mm, you didn't really put. I mean, you put that yay on Nas for seven tracks, but that's not. A, that's not a Nas album. That's a Kanye album. Like I think the beats are cool, but Nas is a conceptual guy, right? So we get seven songs, and then the first three are like Nas when he's doing some deep stuff, and the next three are like Nas just freestyling over club beats. That's not why you listen to Nas. I don't know how long Tiana Taylor had been working on whatever. I remember Kanye apologizing to Tiana Taylor for not spending enough time on her career when he was doing an interview with The Breakfast Club. I thought hers was one of my favorites of this whole Kanye wave, especially a rose in Harlem. But she is very upset about where things went. She's got no visuals at all, and she's a good music artist. We know Pusha T had to, he know he paid for that video on his own. <laughs> you know, I, I just feel like that. I don't know. I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like he paid for that video on his own because nobody has visuals. Yeah. And yeah, that so, was one of the huge things with Tayana's album, right? Like there have been so many articles coming out about how Kanye did Tayana wrong with no visuals, no lead single, like just the 23 minutes. Like while it's part of this whole Wyoming Sessions project, is that which was best for her and best for uh, her album's publicity? Yeah, I mean, and she's in a little bit of a different situation, right? Because she doesn't have the same audience that everyone else has built in. Uh, She doesn't have music success that we really, you know, even she doesn't pass the grandma test. You can make an argument everyone else passes the grandma test. Like my grandma knows who Nas is. Yeah. My grandma's heard of Kid Cudi. Grandma might not know Pusha T. I'll give her that. But definitely doesn't pass the grandma test. So she's not a star on her own like that. And she would definitely need real support. Like she would need a buildup. She would need some visuals. They would need to do some sort of collaborations with brands, influencers. She would have to secure some playlisting leading up to the project. We need to see more of her online and them together. You know, I don't know if just putting her on the tail end of Kanye month was ever what that would ever look like. I don't have expectations for Tiana Taylor. She could have sold 12 records. She could have sold 300,000 records. And I would be like, oh, interesting. And it <laughs> sense because like, okay, well, here's someone who's kind of been on the shelf since streaming came out. Or, or hey, here's someone who's married to a basketball player who hooked up with Drake's quote-unquote baby mama. Like, it could have gone any way for Tiana Taylor. But you have to give her a shot. And so... I don't feel like these projects are necessarily the artist's projects. I feel like this is a Kanye 
a series of Kanye projects, which I think is amazing from the standpoint of like if you're an ultimate Kanye fan, there's a whole lot to think about. He gave you 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 have we haven't had this much Kanye since maybe ever. This much Kanye in one month, right? At bare minimum, we know he produced on all of them, right? So there's seven. So that's what? How I many was it? Five projects? Yeah, it ended up being I think because Tiana had eight on her album, so it's thirty six tracks. Thirty six tracks. Okay, so we haven't had that since maybe Good Friday plus My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we haven't had it since mixtape Kanye to College Dropout. Maybe we haven't had it from College Dropout to Late Registration. I don't know. When he was maybe when Kanye was putting out, you know, maybe when Good Music first started, and you had Good, you had uh, College Dropout, you had B, you had John Legend's project, you had, you know, all this. Maybe back then, it's been a long time since we've gotten this much Kanye, this consistently. If I'm a Kanye fan, I was hyper engaged, hyper interested in everything that was happening and what he sounds like. My opinions are based off of my history of listening to his music and his sound but this is a, a weighty endeavor how expensive is this yeah right <laughs> this this is all with def jam right so what is the sacrifice for putting out this many different projects getting this many contracts together getting this many i mean kid cuddy i think he probably had to share that label deal label split in there somewhere there had to be some sort of arrangement around that so how much room is there for tiana televisuals yeah. how much room is Anybody to get visuals. Should they be just happy? <laughs> Got a Kanye project? Like, if I'm Nas, I was probably working on something totally different. Kanye called and was like, hey, man, what do you think about doing seven tracks with me? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to turn down seven Kanye songs? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? However good or bad they're not, they clearly were made very quickly. There's not a whole, I mean, the... Kid See Ghost is by far my favorite, and that's the only one that seemed to have some sort of loose conceptual angle to it. The rest of them, I think, were... Pusha T's was a really, really good, too. And I think the difference between like a Pusha T is that I think he works better by himself over seven songs. I don't need 14 Pusha T songs himself. Put Malice on there, okay, give me 14 clip songs, give me seven Pusha T songs. Nas, on the other hand, I need more from Nas because Nas is painting big pictures. Yeah. Like, it's ever since Nostradamus, almost everything has been a concept. Hip hop is dead, and now we're making a nigga album, and this one's going to have a Marley on it. And I'm old now, so life is good, you know. So, like, I, I don't know where what the expectation is around, you know, all this stuff. But it, this was a Kanye experience, you know, and. I, I think it's uh, awesome for, for those of us who are always excited to see Kanye, see what he's on. Mm -hmm. uh, I think for those of us who really loved his music for the new things it brought, the new perspectives it brought, the new sounds it brought, the new collaborations it brought, you know, this is, this kind of came and went. Right. What, uh, do you have your favorite time period of Kanye or favorite kind of Kanye moment? That's a really good question. Um, my favorite Kanye moment was Jesus. Mm. Favorite. Um, because now we're talking about really big issues. Now we're talking about things that when you start talking about classism, when you start challenging 
economic structures for whatever reason, right? These are conversations that most people never even get close to thinking about. Most people will sit there and say, this town ain't got no jobs. All we got is McDonald's giving us minimum wage. Well, they don't get to the point where they think about why the town doesn't have jobs. <laughs> McDonald's doesn't pay more than minimum wage. Like they never get to that thought, which is a major step in terms of opening people's perspective on uh, what's possible and why certain things are that way, mm-hmm. right? And truthfully, a lot of artists, not even in hip hop, go at that conversation with the anger and fervor <laughs> that Kanye did. I've definitely heard Jay-Z talk about how he's worked with and hustled different companies. You know, I've definitely heard Drake talk about how rich he is all the time. Master P has broke stuff down very well. I've seen him. But Kanye was screaming at these cats. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not something that we normally see. And that, to me, was the best series of interviews he's ever done. You had Hal Sway and you had Zane Love. You had the Breakfast Club. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... You could see the wheels turning as he was turning the corner. I don't see that the same way now in these Kanye interviews. I think he's definitely on the other side of whatever he was trying to break through. Mm-hmm. And you could see how successful he is in shoes. So it's not like he's diminished by any means, no matter what people think of him or his music. But that moment there was such an outlier moment that I haven't seen replicated prior to or since with any other artist, hip hop or otherwise. Like it, it was just really interesting to see that. And that album, as much as it's polarizing, the first five songs or first half of the album, yeah, it might be a 808s and anger, but the second half was quintessential Kanye. The second half was like blood on the leaves, like bound to might as well be late, you know, just in how it's mixed and the way it's presented, you know, like <clears throat> it was everything that I like and some new stuff that I hadn't heard Kanye do which is something that isn't consistent, right? Like 808s and Heartbreak was a Kanye I hadn't heard, you know, prior to that. Graduation was literally like mastering the things I liked about Kanye in the beginning, right? So, you, I mean, and, and, you know, he starts off with a hip-hop violinist, for example. Next album, he's got John Bryan and full orchestras. Gets sleeker than ever on Graduation with all of those orchestral moments that we love Mixed with some new electronic stuff, flashing lights might as well be When Doves Cry. It's the perfect song. <laughs> and then, you know, he goes into something totally different, right? Um, comes back around again, to my opinion, on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which is like, again, the first three Kanye's we really liked. But now they're, every song is like an opus. Like they're all five minutes long. It's like, that might be his second longest album. I wouldn't be surprised if that's, in terms of minutes, might be the longest album. Maybe it's number two behind like late registration or something like that. But like, and then after that, he's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Yeezus moment because to me, that is really the transition from him, you know, letting his new ambitions or his other ambitions, his other goals, pushing those to the forefront, um, which to me is incredible. And so if there was a favorite era of Kanye, it would probably be graduation around then, graduation and 808s. Because I feel like graduation and 808s is like the best of the Kanye writing teams for me. Mm. Like I 
really love Ron Fest as a writing partner with him. I love Consequence as a writing partner for him. I love fucking um, <clears throat> what's the sh- what's uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Cuddy comes around around right. Well, eight away, so no, that's oh, yeah, yeah, but around around grad. I might be wrong, but I know the electronic sounds are in the background. Like, he's like eight away's was super electronic, but there's a lot of electronic moments on graduation. So, like, you know, so from eight oh eights, from graduation to eight oh eights, it's the best of all, like, truthfully, what I think defined what people love about old Kanye and a lot of things that ended up being so prevalent when we talk about new Kanye. Because uh, Cuddy's probably the most influential collaborator Kanye has had, uh, in my opinion, arguably, uh, for him as a solo artist. And those first five projects, he was five for five. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's like an outcast type pace. You know what I mean? Like, that's it's rarefied air. You know, that's like maybe Pac, but I feel like, you know, the music was better. Not that Pac's lyrics weren't there, but just sonically. Pac's work was came out at a time where when you listen to stuff from that era, it sounds dated now. Yeah. His later stuff, Machiavelli, you can listen to that right now. Like Machiavelli still works right now. But, you know, to Apocalypse Now, a lot of the stuff just sounded dated even though everything he's saying is still works is so still on point but you know Kanye's stuff is those first five projects are just immaculate if there's something they're really something else and that that build up to graduation and just how peak Kanye was and to see him go from like those moments of the glory and stronger into 808s that in and of itself is such a juxtaposition and it felt like it was always supposed to be that way. You know, like, I think that, like, if you take something like Picasso, right, like, stuff just juts out and it looks crazy and it's all abstract and, you know, it, there's like a cold feeling to it, but definitely depth at the same time while still being flat, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But then there's like Dolly, you know, like all those same things, but also gives you the, in my opinion, gives you the opposite and they still fit seamlessly together, right? Like I took an art history class when I lived in Amsterdam and our professor was like, hey, if you really care about, <clears throat> excuse me, if you really I just got back from the gym. I'm, I'm like, I was, sauna. I started this, uh, this new meditation exercise. So I was sitting in the sauna meditating, and now my, my sciences are doing sinusy, sinusy things. But my art history professor was like, hey, if you really care about art history, if you care about, you know, Vermeer and how he showed motion, if you care about Rembrandt and how he showed perspective and depth, then you should take a painting class because that way you'll really be able to appreciate how difficult it is to, to create these works of art. And one thing about Kanye West that I know he did for me, and I'm pretty sure he did for everybody else, because everybody out now seems like Kanye West kids. <laughs> um, I was like, man, I really like I really like hip hop a lot. I really like rap music a lot. 
I should try this stuff out. So I got like a, I got a terrible tag. I got a helicopter that's offbeat. Um, but I never, um, I never rhymed. And so I actually spent two years on the subway writing raps, not to be an MC, but to get closer to this medium that I really cared about. And it's really, really hard, man. It's really, really hard. Pekaya just does a great job of making you feel like it was okay to be yourself. You know, again, this is a guy who worked at The Gap. One of his best songs, hardest songs ever, in my opinion, is about him getting insulted working at The Gap. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, that guy is now, what, 14 years later, every president, every president, he's been next to every president. Almost and with and causing friction, like George Bush said, the low point of his presidency was when Kanye said George Bush doesn't care about black people. He and Obama went at each other, throwing shade for eight years. I did a whole video on that. Eight years. <laughs> All they did was throw shade, and you know they knew each other because Kanye. I mean Obama. His first big moment was in '04 during the Democratic. Uh, convention when he gave a big speech. So he definitely showed up at Kanye's house looking for some support. Wherever they ended up now, who knows? But the President Obama called Kanye a jackass. Called Kanye a jackass. Kanye goes crazy screaming at a concert, runs off stage, comes back with blonde hair looking like Meteor Man hanging out with Trump. Goes away again, comes back, make America great again. Slavery is a choice. Trump is my boy. And Kanye, and Trump is up here saying, yo, thanks, Kanye. You're helping me out with black people. This guy working at the Gap, 14 years later, <laughs> God, every president, <laughs> friction with presidents. So, you know, that graduation era, that uh, that 808 and heartbreak era to me was like the combination of the best of both of, of everything we've seen that we loved about Kanye. There's a relatability. There's a common man perspective. There's a, a, a spilling imagination. Never fear to ruffle feathers. Never fear to stand out. Always always making sure he stepped on the neck of all dream killers and has been relentless in all of his pursuits. Like, what's not to love about that? What's not to be inspired by that on face value? Like, that's the mantra of the internet. That's, when he says he's Steve Jobs, that, yeah, that is Steve Jobs. Like, that's what Steve Jobs' book was about. Both of Steve Jobs' movies, the one with the guy I can't remember and the one with Ashton Kutcher, they were both that. You know, so that era specifically was the best of him sonically from one of the things I loved about him in the beginning to where he is now. You can see all the origins, the stuff he does now from graduations to 808s, probably up to right before Good Friday starts. And mm -hmm. I'll say Good Friday, I love Good Friday, but between graduation and 808s, you got... <laughs> <laughs> a freaking a sales battle with 50 Cent and Taylor Swift. Like, like that's the crux of some version of everything we've seen about Kanye West. And in terms of sonically, Jesus is my favorite. 
because to me that was the last time I've gotten something new that I haven't heard from Kanye. Um, in that era of conversation and interview, he's, interviews, he's really tackling super big ideas. Yeah. Like, see, this is bigger than what he's doing now. He's calling it free thought. It's not free thought if you're just taking other people's ideas and you don't understand them. It's not a free thought to like. It, the problem I have with Kanye now, for example, versus the things I liked about the Zane Lowe conversations, whether he's talking about fashion or he's talking about capitalism during the Zane Lowe stuff, during the user stuff, and I know you got to go. I think you said you only have like an hour. But like <clears throat> the difference between that is that, one, I really feel like he knows what he was talking about from about corporate America, corporate experience, the number of levels he had to fight through in his own career, in his own business that started out with what we heard on last call. When he was talking about how Mikey Halstead was signing the cash money and had the ghost right for no ID, wasn't getting no credit. That sounds like the same stuff to me when I hear him talk about Zane Lowe, right? Or when he talk about, you know, Hattie Slamane and whoever these people are. Sounds the same to me. But with this new stuff, it just sounds like a guy who needs to sell a lot of sneakers because he can't contextualize the things he likes about Trump other than his boy. He can't contextualize the things he likes about what Candace Owen is saying. He literally says, oh, well, I don't really know about all that. I just know I need to have free thought. And it's like, if you can't explain something, how well do you really understand it? Because it's not that difficult to support Trump if you want to, especially if you're Kanye. Hey, man, I like tax breaks. I'm about to get extra million dollars a year. Who don't like that? You know what? I supported all kinds of Democrats. System still seems broken to me. I just want to throw a wrench in it. Let's see what happens when you burn the whole thing down. You can say a lot of stuff. You can say anything. You can say something. He said nothing. He said free thought. So to me, that felt like, okay, I got a lot of stuff I'm going to be selling. Really need you guys to pay attention to me. And that's a significant step down than the way I felt after the Zane Lowe conversations because, you know, this is somebody who was really opening minds. And now I feel like he's closing – I think he's closing doors, you know, mm. on, on, you know, his original audience. But again, you know, now it's predictable because who – Who's left one to piss off? You got to piss off black people at some point. What did Michael Jordan say in the 90s? Republicans buy shoes too. You know, <laughs> it's the same thing. And that guy's from Chicago or played for Chicago. So, you know, to me, Jesus is the, is the most interesting time period because uh, it's everything from the entire old era of Kanye, in my opinion, to forward here. But musically, I think he was the best from graduation to 808. Nice. And uh, we like to wrap up with uh, top three tracks and then giving you a last call where you just have a few minutes of uh, uninterrupted whatever thoughts that you want. It can be on Kanye. It can be on something else. So do you have, uh, do you have your top three tracks? Uh, Flashing Lights. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. It's a five-tool song. You can smoke weed to it. You can work out in the gym to it. You can drive your car to it. You can smack bellies to it. And you clean your house to it. It's amazing. Song always works. For me, um, uh, I can't think of it. It's on, it's on late registration. I'm ahead of my time. Sometimes years out, so the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out. That make me want to get my advance out and move to Oklahoma and just live in my aunt's house. Yeah. Love that whole rap. And I love how, like, on the song, like, the way it's mixed, in the left ear, you've got, like, the strings, and in the right ear, you got the drums. But to me, like, that was the, 
epitome of Kanye when he was like really was trying to be the best rapper, like yeah. MC, like really spit. Um, never get tired. Gone. That's what. Gone. Sorry, Mr. West is gone. <laughs> never get tired of that joint. Um, I am a god. <laughs> I am a god. Yeah, because uh, you know here is a uh, you know uh, someone who's definitely spiritual, definitely religious. Right, Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Um, at probably the most religious point in his career, too. Uh, we haven't, prior to Jesus, I'm not sure how often he was talking about God like that outside of maybe Jesus walks. I'm not saying he never did it. Yeah, but. I'm just saying, like, dude's got, like, he's Jesus out now. And whether that's awesome or awful, good or bad, I don't know. But I am a God is a risky way to flex your spirituality in christianity like you ain't supposed to have no gods before god i am a god even though i'm a man of god <laughs> my whole life in the hand of god so y'all better get, quit playing with god soon as they like you make them unlike you if that's not the past five years of Kanye, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what is <laughs> so those are my three my favorite uh my three kanye joints um Flashing lights gone, and I am a god. That's so good because there's so much dichotomy there between like, like I'm God, but like I'm in the hand of God versus like like you, unlike you, and just everything that the tension that that creates with him and his relationship with religion, but also him and his relationship with other people. Uh, exactly. I mean, it's. You know, Kanye, we won't, we won't see another artist like Kanye. I don't, uh, if we see another artist like Kanye in our lifetime, I'd be surprised, you know, and because we haven't seen someone who's been able to have this much success in music and art form, hip hop a competitive art form down to every element. And now fashion, one of the most closed art forms, closed products, industries. It's like fashion and oil in the sense of how he's approaching it, right? Like he's not trying to sell t-shirts, right? He wants to own the cows where they get leather from. Like, that's the difference between, like, the big houses. You know what I mean? So, and the fact that he's made it big enough now to where he has his own shoes, not like, like, who's the last person that has their own? Jordan? On a major level? Jordan from Nike? You know? So, it's it's an outlier thing. And in terms of culture, in terms of youth, it's those two in technology. You know, so if we see another person to come from where he came from, which is middle class, and I'm not sure middle class is majority anymore, but it used to be. He was the guy who didn't always have Jordans, but he was also the guy who didn't, he wasn't the guy who didn't never have Jordans. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, you know, it's, it's, it's inspiring to, to see how much he's been able to will his way 
to where he wants to be. Like you can maybe compare him to Will Smith, but Will Smith's way bigger in film than he is in music anymore. You have to go a long way back. Like people younger than me don't remember Will Smith, the rapper like that. Um, I don't know who else, man, but, and, uh, and he's done it in pioneering ways or pioneering approaches at points in time when it was least feasible, you know? So I don't think we'll see another artist like him. I don't, I'm not sure how many artists are more important than him. So, um, and what'd you say? A final word, anything? Else yeah. We talk? yeah. Your last call moment. So it can be 20 seconds. It can be 10 minutes, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. This is last it. Call moment. Oh, I like that. I like this song, last call. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was talking about this on Instagram today and I've, I've run into, you know, some creative challenges recently because of different opportunities, um, that I've accepted. And I started working with Empire Distribution. Big shout out to Ghazi, big shout out to Nima. The, by far the most innovative record label in hip hop, arguably in music. And they started out as a distribution organization. And Ghazi's backstory is, is just so amazing in how he's built this company, uh, which was initially based on distribution right um which is building the roads right we're talking about kanye wanting the the leather and the cows if you're going to be in music industry you have to have the roads you have to be able to let people get on the road and put their music on spotify get on the road put their music in stores whatever it is um and now he's grown it to their own label services full radio team Mo Landy, Legends running that, A&R team run by Tina Davis, Legends running that. You know, it's an opportunity for me to learn something um, from people who I've never heard people talk junk about, right? Like I've never had, I've interviewed over a thousand artists easily. I've conducted over 2,000 interviews at least. You know, I've been on air five days a week. I've been editor-in-chief of Hip Hop News, uh, Hip Hop DX, the largest hip-hop news website. I've got a YouTube show, you know, and this is my second career. I, I quit investment banking to write about rap music. So this is something that I'm extremely passionate about, and it's taken me all the way to Oxford, where I get to debate whether Kanye is more relevant than William Shakespeare, right? And at some point, I think we all get to a point where, okay, we have to learn more. And one thing I haven't experienced is being on the side of the business that sells music. I don't understand supply chain of music that well. I don't understand how an artist goes from never heard before to heard all the time. You know, like, I don't know necessarily, um, you know, a lot of internal operations and which is extremely important to me and what I want to do and my goals and, and uh, what I want to accomplish. But the cost that's come with that is it's a lot more difficult for me to sink into my own writing routine, uh, contextualizing things that are happening and turning them into breakdowns or looking at life through the lens of hip hop. And that's something that has always, that's always been the case with me. Like when I was editor in chief of DX, I wasn't writing that much cause I had to do a lot of business stuff. When I was at, um, 
investment banking, I would, it would take me two weeks to do an album review. It was, you know, just, just a little bit, I guess, about how I am wired. And over that time, which has probably been a couple of months now, since I put out a different video or a new video, you know, I kind of feel, it, it, it scared me for a little while. I was like, man, am I losing it? Because every day we have to keep up with the 24 hour news cycle. We have to, we're beholden to trending topics. Uh, if John Monopoly, I was talking to John Monopoly a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, man, if you're, we were on a panel together. He was like, yeah, man, if you're not online, then you're off, you know? And I, there is something that what Kanye is talking about when he talks about outside pressures and how they affect us internally, justifying the validity of the decisions we're making. Are we doing the things that we're doing because we want to do them or are we doing them because we're expected to do that, right? And watching all these Kanye conversations and TMZ stuff, especially, it's really interesting to hear the guy go from uh, never leave while you're hot. That's how May screwed up to, you know, man, I got to go to Paris and I got to work forever to work on these designs and yakety, yakety, yakety. And there's a parallel there that I think we all have to do at some point. And I know for me, in order to be better at, uh, my ultimate goal is to be the greatest rap writer, rap journalist of all time. And there's a level of prolificness that comes with that, but there's also a level of education and understanding that I know is important. <laughs> and um, I'm hypercritical of Kanye these days, as you can tell. But one thing I have taken from what I've experienced is that at some point we have to go learn new things about ourselves and new things about the world and new things about uh, the businesses that we want to be in. And if that means you have to take a step sideways or step backwards from your ultimate goal, then never be afraid to do that because otherwise it's going to be you're going to keep coming with the same perspective, the same angle. And one thing Kanye's never been afraid to do, we'll switch it up. So um, I appreciate him for highlighting that for me. And anyone who hears this, the last thing um, they should ever be afraid to do is evolve. You know, um, I always say his name wrong. His name is Geerta. I think that's the philosopher's name. G-O-E-T-H-E. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Thanks for having me on. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.